the conversation. You're with Cape Talk. Just in time to introduce the second episode in our podcast, Running's Lessons for Life. Now, in this series, we are taking you into the world of long-distance running as we chat to well-known South African athletes about their most memorable races. We have asked each one of our guests to choose a particular race that taught them some of their greatest lessons in sport and in life. And we hope you're going to enjoy listening to these as we count down the weeks to this year's Two Oceans Marathon. A reminder that a new episode drops each Friday. We're going to share an excerpt with you on the show the same day. And then if you missed uh, an episode or want to catch up or share them with somebody else, the entire series being released one episode at a, a per week and pinned to the top of our social media channels. So while we are listening on air, you can go and find the link on Twitter, on Facebook, etc. and share those stories. Firstly, if you missed last week's chat with Two Oceans champion Gerda Stein, please do look for that link on our social media. And then going live in the next 15 minutes, today's interview. Our featured runner today might not quite be a household name, but she should be, and maybe she will be soon. Nontutukum Gabi is an athlete from Richards Bay who has already conquered the almost unimaginable challenge of running seven marathons in seven days on seven different continents. And we caught up with her a week or so ago, just before she departed for her next big challenge, the 169-kilometer Ultra Asia race. Nontutuku, please tell us a little bit about your background and in particular when you first fell in love with the sport of running. I grew up in a deep rural village of Mseleni. That's where I was born and bred. And sport was really for the elite and luxury, you know, when you are fending for yourself, you know, surviving, you know. It's just a struggle every day. You go to under-resourced school, you're in under-resourced community, you don't even think about sport. So mm. I started sport only in 2013. It was through a friend of mine who invited me to go for the East Coast Big Walk. Yeah. And after that, I felt so good and I thought to myself, wow, I'd like to have this feeling on regular basis. That's how it started. I started by walking before work and before I know it, I was just jogging a bit running a little bit. Before I knew it, I was signing up for, you know, Spa Ladies Race, and the rest was history. 26 years old when you ran your first marathon, and you've never looked back since. You mentioned running before work. One of the things that fascinates me about your story is that you are somebody with a really high-powered job. You're an industrial psychologist. You've got a really senior human resources management position as your day job. How do you manage to fit in a decent training schedule, particularly ahead of a major race like the one you're about to undertake, when you've still got a full-time job to do? It's all about setting a structure in place. I always say habit is what you do consistently, not occasionally. Mm. And you cannot depend on motivation because motivation comes and goes. And often in life, if you wait for perfect conditions, you get absolutely nothing done. So I have a very um, good structure in place. Mm. Like I do know on a Monday what I must do, what distance I must do, what pace I must do on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday I rest. Saturday, I know what I must do. Sunday, I know it's a long run. So with a structure like that, it's almost running for me. It's almost like brushing your teeth. You don't negotiate whether you should brush them or not. Because <laughs> it has become habit, right? And that's what you really have to do. It's about really stretching the small stuff. Put systems in place that will support you because it's human nature to feel motivated today, not motivated tomorrow. And usually when you are low on mood, you end up doing nothing. It's a downward spiral. Yeah. So what I try to do is to make sure that I have a structure in place 
that support the exercise. I don't only even just train for races. It's just a lifestyle, like I say, you know. I just have built it into my life that it's become non-negotiable. Mm. In your case, there's an added bit of fuel that, that drives you to keep going and stick to that schedule and, and, and honor that structure you've put in place. And that is the fact that you're running for more than just yourself. Now, I referenced at the start the fact that in 2020, you undertook this amazing challenge of doing the World Marathon Challenge, where you ran seven marathons in seven days on seven continents. You did so with a very specific fundraising cause at the heart of your effort. And I know it's one that you still stick to to this day. Won't you tell us a little bit more about that that motivation absolutely I as I've indicated I grew up in a different village so I know how it's like to grow up and really it becomes very difficult sometimes to dream of something you've not seen and I firmly believe that genius is equally distributed it's opportunities that aren't mm. so since 2019 when I started to actually now because I've always been adventurous you know climb Mount Kilimanjaro I've done many ultras. By 2019, my running took a turn when I met Kipping Goodby Primary School. And I just could not believe, you know, in one classroom, over 100 learners. Yeah. No windows, window panes shuttered, there's no floor, porthole after porthole. So when I decided to run seven marathons on seven continents in seven days, I thought this race, I'd like to actually run it for something bigger than me. I want this race to actually cross the finish line and go beyond. That's when Go Beyond for a Child was born. My intention was to raise funds to build five new classrooms. And indeed, thanks to sponsors, generous sponsors who donated, I was able to raise 1.7 million that was used to build five new classrooms, renovate the school and buy the furniture. And to your point, I have to say this. For me, it was also about sending a message of hope to a black child there in a rural village who may believe that they are invisible, they are out of sight, out of mind, that you too matter so that they can see themselves reflected in me. It's an amazing, amazing story. Um, not to Tuko, we, we asked you at the start of this uh, podcast to think about one race that you learned the most from in some way or that taught you something important. And I don't know if it is this particular challenge of the seven races in a row that you want to speak about in more detail or if there is one in particular that stands out from all of them. What would you say is the race that, that, that taught you a, a very important lesson? You read mine <laughs> because you actually read my mind. It is indeed the World Marathon Challenge for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Number one, the race itself sounds impossible. I remember when I came across this race, I was like, what? Seven marathons, seven continents in seven successive days? It sounds impossible. And lesson number one for me right there is exactly what the late Tata Nelson Mandela said. It always seems impossible until it's done. Mm-hmm. Number two, it was actually my very first race where I did the longest stage race because it's gone over seven days. So lesson number two for me was keep going. The only way to finish a seven stage race is about keep on moving on, keep on going. And that's what life demands of all of us every day. Keep moving on. Mm. The only way to complete the course is keep moving on. Just like what Tamu Bailey once said. Those who complete the course will do so only because they do not, as fatigue sets in, convince themselves that the road ahead is still too long. The inclines are too steep. The loneliness is impossible to bear. 
but they believe that the prize itself is of absolute great value. That's how you actually move on. You believe that they can't ahead. You believe that you still have some energy within. You dig deep. You do not look at how long you still have to go. You just allow yourself to be in the present moment. And if you fix your eyes to where you are, take one step at a time and be fully present, you actually end up completing the seemingly impossible. Hmm. Another one is, together as Africa, we made history. I became the first African female to actually run the seven marathons on seven continents in seven successive days. And this race, as I highlighted, it enabled me to reach out to generous people who were able to really assist me in building the seven, the five new uh, classrooms at Keeping Kungu Primary School, Deep Rural Village, Dugutugu in Mutuba, Tuba. Yeah. You know, I, 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 it, the, the thought of, of just the logistics of moving between seven continents in seven days is, is tough enough, let alone doing a marathon in between at each one. I don't know if one of those seven races was harder than the others. I know the Antarctic leg, you run at Novo Air Base. Now, I, I happen to be there in December. I know how <laughs> difficult the conditions are there. It's, it's, it's just like being on another planet when you step off that plane. W- was that the hardest of the seven or, or was another one uh, b- for, for a different reason? As I already said, you read mine. Mm-hmm. It was indeed the hardest. You had to dig deep, and mind you, it's early on into the race. It's normally race number one. Yeah. Uh, but because of very tough uh, conditions in Antarctica, we ended up starting with Africa, Cape Town, and then Antarctica number two. So you are on day two, the second marathon of the seven, and the race is so humbling. So humbling. You finish the race, you do not, you're not sure whether it's lost some of your fingers, <laughs> you cannot even open your jacket. It was a conditions where extreme that you really, really have to keep on going back to your why. Yeah. Why are you doing this? And that race again taught me one thing. Even when you think you've given it your all, there's still some left. Hmm. Nontutuka, now you're about to set off on a race that's going to ask you to do that again and again and again because the next task you're undertaking is the Ultra Asia race, which is brutal, not only in the length of the event, 160 kilometers or more, but in the amount of up and down that the race contains in terms of elevation. Uh, one of the unusual things about this race is that you're going to sleep overnight in local villagers' houses, I believe, as you run from one point in Asia to another. That that puts a whole different... I would imagine experience um, uh, level to to the adventure. Tell tell us a little bit more about what lies ahead of you. Absolutely, running in the lush mountains uh, of Vietnam, um, six thousand meters of elevation. It will demand that you your legs are strong, your mind is strong, and your back is strong. You're also carrying um, your entire equipment, food, um, sleeping material, because we, as you've highlighted, we sleep in traditional houses, so. You run day number one, you are accommodated by a family you do not know, all they provide you is a mattress. You sleep, you wake up, you run, you move on to the next house that you do not know, you introduce yourself, and then they accommodate you, you sleep, you move on. And these races, for me, they actually take me back to the basics. Because, you know, in fact, this one is even better because you get a chance to shower. I mean, I remember when I ran Marathon Disabled, 250 kilometers in the Sahara Desert, 56 degrees heat. And you have nowhere to shower. There's no water. Seven days, you do not shower. Similarly with seven marathons. Yeah. Seven days, no shower. So you come back, you appreciate that taking a bath is luxury. Having a bath is luxury. 
you just get a different perspective. While I use this racist to raise funds to help children in need, but this racist helped me too to stay grounded. Hmm. So again, you're doing this to go beyond for a child. I know the vision is to raise money this time for new school shoes for children on the KwaZulu-Natal North Coast. Uh, clearly that motivation to, to reach out and help others and inspire is what keeps you going. Uh, in closing, Nontutoko, uh, what are your future plans and goals? Once you've got Ultra Asia behind you, and I have no doubt you'll reach your, reach your fundraising target, what do you think will be the next big race in your sights? Um, the next race I'm thinking would be next year in particular, although I am contemplating Ultra Africa in Mozambique. Yeah. Um, it's 250 kilometers. And again, it is also as last week, Saturday, the 18th of February, I was at Nlamvo Primary School, um, distributing 100 school shoes in partnership with Hollywood Foundation. And end of March, we'll be going to New Era, as well as in Selene Primary School, to distribute 200 school shoes, uh, proudly sponsored by Money Industries and Bidvest Tank Terminal. So my intention is that I actually go back, and also I met, like I said on Saturday, when I was distributing 100 school shoes. Sample Primary School, they still have a container, a mobile classroom that is unsafe and unstable. Yeah. So with my next race, I would love to run to raise funds to build them just one classroom because grade six is currently actually learning under unsafe and not so conducive conditions in a container that is actually unstable. So I would love to run another race to raise funds to actually build them a classroom. My final question then is... Clearly, the driver of your success is the why, as you said. It is knowing that there is a specific goal, that you are doing this to help very specific people that you've identified as needing assistance in one way or another. Do you think having such a clear focus gives you the edge when you compete, whether it's a big ultra race on the other side of the world or a smaller local marathon here at home in South Africa? It certainly does. It actually does uh, two things. One, it encourages my heart to push on, to dig deep and keep going. Number two, it also calms me knowing that even if, although this has never happened, but even if I do not get to finish the race, but the ultimate race will be accomplished. For example, with Ultra Asia, mm. truth of the matter is, even if I were to not finish the 260 kilometers, which I believe I will finish because I've prepared for it, but even if I do not finish, 500 learners will still get shoes. That is the ultimate race. That was athlete Nont Tukum Gabi speaking to us just before her departure for Vietnam, where she was competing this past week in the Ultra Asia race. Now, she crossed the finish line yesterday. For those who are wondering how she did, she came second in the women's race and fourth overall, uh, raising already enough money to sponsor 270 pairs of shoes. We're tweeting the back of Buddy link in case anybody is inspired by that story and would like to make a pledge, however small, to her campaign. We'll be in conversation with a different athlete next week. Friday, a new episode to drop then as well.